0: Green Bay Packers give a monster extension to corner Jair Alexander. This one worth four years, $84 million. His AAV skyrockets to the top of the NFL at the defensive back position. As you can see, he's now ahead of guys like Denzel Ward, Jalen Ramsey, Marlon
1: Humphrey, and Marshawn Lattimore. Ah, yes, what a great Monday we had as Packer fans as Jair Alexander is inked to a new contract. And uh, man, I'll tell you, the cornerback position for so long was so weak for the Green Bay Packers. And now it's obviously uh, became a strength in the last several years. And it's going to continue to be that way with the addition of Jair Alexander, obviously uh, re-signing Rasul Douglas to a three-year deal. And of course, you got Stokes still left on a three-year deal with a a fifth-year option. Um, as well, three years left on his uh, his rookie contract. But welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on packer.net.com. You can find me on Twitter at packers underscore access. And you know what, guys? In honor of the the great news that we got, that Jair Alexander signs this uh, this contract. Obviously, we're gonna jump in and and break down that contract a little bit. You know the details that have been released so far. And um, but also, I thought you know what better way to celebrate um, with our history segment than to highlight one of the greatest corners to ever play the game of football, not just for the Packers, but the entire NFL. And that's Mr. Herb Adderley from the Lombardi era. So we're gonna talk about Herb Adderley's uh, career here just a little bit. We're gonna break down a little bit of the Jair Alexander contract. And we actually had a, uh, a listener question as well uh, through the DMs on Twitter and a young man uh, i'm assuming it's a young man by the name obin but uh he actually asked a question of kind of what separates uh which, what's your view i don't know the question right offhand. i'll read it on the air when we get to that segment but in a sense it was uh, what justifies a a good rookie season you know a lot of people obviously you get your your tj watts that come into the league they they perform great it's easy to look at that and go that's a great rookie season right um same thing uh, last year with micah parsons in dallas but that that's not the only good performances you know what makes a good solid draft pick uh, you know and and more specifically for the first round so what we're gonna do is kind of go back and look at PFF grades for the last several uh, years for first round picks that we feel like turned out to be good ball players for the Packers and and no better one to uh, to highlight than Jair Alexander so we'll kind of look at what his PFF grade as far as progress uh, was you know from his rookie year up to uh, his current day grade there with PFS so that's gonna kind of be the show Let's waste no more time and get right into Herb Adderley's story. And Herb Adderley is one of the greatest cornerbacks to ever play in the National Football League. And they're really, we can't in a 15, 20 minute segment do justice for just the impact. Um, that that Herb made um, when it comes to the Green Bay Packers and, and the history of the league, but we're gonna do our best. We're gonna kind of tell his story here. Um, if you're you know listening to this and you've never heard of Herb badly, it's probably because you're a younger fan. You know, if you're over the age of forty, um, there's a good chance you've heard it. If you're over the age of 50, first of all, it's so awesome that you're listening to our podcast. I think that um, you know that that older group, and not to be disrespectful, I just have. Uh, I have so much respect for those people and uh, it, it fires me up when I hear stories like Jacob talking about how his uh, his grandpa um, while he's working in the barn up there in Wisconsin is uh, is actually listening to the show. So shout out to uh, Jacob's grandpa and uh, appreciate you listening and appreciate all the hard work you've done over the years keeping the country going. We know for every, every one of him There's, you know, uh, there's, you know, thousands of more, probably hundreds of thousands of more that are doing the same type of labor and keeping this country moving. And we appreciate it. But Herb Adderley, let's jump right in. All right. He was born on June 8th, 1939. Right. And I'm going to kind of give you a a brief overview of his early life. He was born and raised in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, born and raised on the playgrounds where he spent most of his day. No, it doesn't say that. Adderley's parents were. Charles and Reva White Adderley. He graduated from Northeast High School in 1957, where he starred in football, basketball, and baseball, and he won all city honors in all three. In college, uh, he attended Michigan State in East Lansing and, uh, and played football under coach Duffy Daugherty, uh, primarily as a halfback. He led the Spartans in rushing yards as a junior in 1959 and pass receptions in both 1959 and 1960. Um, it says here that Adderley was the co-captain of the team as a senior and made the, uh, the All-Big Ten Conference team and played in the East-West Shrine game. The Coaches All-American in the coach All-Star games. Uh, he was picked for All-Michigan State University team in 1970. So right off the bat, you see that, you know, although Herb is known as a cornerback, He was an absolute star in college at the halfback position and also being able to catch the football. Now, in his professional career, Adderley was selected by the Green Bay Packers in the first round um, of the 1961 NFL Draft, the 12th overall pick. He began his professional career as halfback on offense, but was later switched to defense because the Packers already had eventual Hall of Fame runners Paul Horning and Jim Taylor. Think about this. A first-round pick, 12th overall, was drafted to be a halfback. And on that same team, they already had two future Hall of Famers at running back, you know, halfback and fullback with that, that Lombardi offense and Paul Horning and Jim Taylor. Just what a stacked, stacked team. And and you could tell that, you know, from from the uh, the previous episode where we talked about, um, you know, the scout, the greatest scout in the history of, uh, of Green Bay in Jack Venesey, um, you know, he he said we actually played the sound bot. We talked about it. How he said, I don't care if we draft three tackles or two guards or multiple players at different at, at the same position, because we're going to draft players that are good football players. Because you always need more good football players, and this right here just shows it. They were already stacked at running back, but they continued to draft. And and this was after Vinici had already passed. I'm I'm almost certain that he passed before the 1960 season. Um, however. It's obvious that the foundation he laid in place with the scouting department and how they draft and that whole mindset as Lombardi stepped in was still the same. They were taking multiple players at the same position because they were just good football players. I think that's uh, that's awesome that that tradition continued. It says um, he began as halfback on offense but later switched because the Packers already had eventual Hall of Fame runners Paul Horning and Jim Taylor. Adderley was first moved to cornerback to replace injured teammate Hank Griminger, And you always hear about these type of stories. You know, you hear about it with Lou Gehrig, right, stepping in for Wally Pipp. You you hear about Brett Favre coming in for Don Mikowski. When Don Mikowski went down, the Magic Man, everybody immediately thought, oh my God, our season's over. And then lo and behold, bam, here comes Brett Favre. Right, um, you, you hear about these stories all the time, and, and this one is no different. Um, he moved to cornerback because he had to replace injured teammate Hank Griminger against Detroit on Thanksgiving Day and made an interception in that game that set up the game-winning touchdown. In 1962, the move became permanent, and Adderley went on to become an all-NFL selection five times in the 1960s. Packers coach Vince Lombardi remarked, quote, I was too stubborn to switch him to defense until I had to. Now, now, when I think of what Adderley means to our defense, it scares me to think of how I almost mishandled him. Those thin, thin threads that uh, that really, you know, kind of dictate how someone's career goes and even a dynasty goes. Because if Adderley's not playing cornerback, I think it's pretty safe to say if you don't have a Hall of Fame cornerback on the field. Um, You know, history probably would have unfolded a little bit different there. It says Adderley recorded 39 interceptions in his nine seasons with the Packers. He held the Green Bay records for interceptions, returned for touchdowns in a career with seven, um, tied with someone we won't mention his name because uh, he's not important to Packers history anymore. And then it was eventually broken by Charles Woodson and holds the records for interceptions, returned for touchdowns in one season. That was three in 1965. Adderley started for the Packers from 1961 to 1969, then played three seasons, 1970 through 72 with the Dallas Cowboys. While with the Packers, he won rings for five NFL championships. And wins in the first two Super Bowls so he has five NFL championships with the Packers and also was on those two first Super Bowl winning teams and you might be asking well what kind of role did he play in those big games it says Adderley was a factor in the Super Bowl two win over the Oakland Raiders intercepting a pass by Raiders quarterback I can't say the name I'm too redneck to say the name Daryl Lamanichia maybe in the fourth quarter and returning it 60 yards for a touchdown to put the game away. It was the first Super Bowl touchdown scored on an intercepted pass. So he has the first touchdown, pick six, right? The first pick six in Super Bowl history. That's pretty cool. Hatterley had a strained relationship with Phil Bankston by the end of the latter second season at the helm if you guys know um, Phil Bankston actually took over for Vince Lombardi when Vince Lombardi left Um, first of all he stepped down as head coach stayed on for one more year as general manager then went on to the Washington uh, Redskins at the time they were called the Redskins Um, so he kind of had a falling out with Phil Bankston probably was just so spoiled by being coached by Vince Lombardi who wouldn't be right he accused Bankston of keeping him off the Pro Bowl team in 1969 and requested to be traded after a holdout um, after a holdout in two weeks before the start of the regular season, he was sent from the Packers to the Cowboys um, yeah, in 1970. So, um, he also became a vital cog in its doomsday defense, assisting the Cowboys to a Super Bowl appearance uh, in five and a win in six. So This guy actually won another Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys unbelievable what what an amazing amazing cornerback says Adderley admired Packers head coach Vince Lombardi but not Tom Landry of the Cowboys benched her in the middle of the 1972 season Adderley was traded to the Los Angeles Rams in the in the summer of 1973 he opted to not report and retired on August 7th um, after a dozen seasons in the NFL along with the Patriots Tom Brady and two Packer teammates, offensive lineman Fuzzy Thurston and Forrest Gregg, Adderley is the only of four pl- the is the is one of the only four players in pro football history to play on six World Championship teams. However, in a revised edition of the instant replay and memoir by Packer teammate Jerry Kramer, Adderley is quoting as saying, "Quote: I'm the only man with a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl ring who doesn't wear it. I'm a Green Bay Packer, and in this 12 seasons." Hatterley recorded 48 interceptions, which he returned for 1,046 yards and 7 touchdowns, an average of 21.8 yards per interception return. He also recovered 14 fumbles, returning them for 65 yards, and returned 120 kicks for 3,080 yards and 2 touchdowns. Post NFL says after Adderley retired, he returned to Philadelphia to broadcast football games for Temple University and the Philadelphia Eagles. He also coached as an assistant at Temple and with the Philadelphia Bell of the World Football League under head coach, his old teammate, Willie Wood, safety for the Packers. Um, Adderley was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1980, a year after his induction into Canton. Adderley became a member of the, Pro, or the Packer Hall of Fame in 1981. He also was chosen for the AFL NFL 1960 through 1984 All Star team. Um, Adderley's cousin's grandson, first cousin twice removed, Nasir Adderley, was drafted by the Los Angeles uh, Chargers in the second round of the 2019 draft. Adderley died on October 30th, 2020, at the age of 81. What an amazing career. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was an offensive weapon in college. Vince Lombardi switched him over to defense, didn't even know what he was doing, had to do it, was forced to do it because of injury. If that injury hadn't occurred, then he may have sat on the bench, third string behind Paul Horning and Jim Taylor, and we never would have seen this Hall of Fame career unfold where a man won that many championships and will go on to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. An amazing, amazing man, an amazing corner, um, probably uh, the the greatest cornerback in the history of the Green Bay Packers. I feel very, very confident in saying that, obviously. so Now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll get into the uh, next segment. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan
0: of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view, by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: All right, so the big news that dropped yesterday on Monday was the uh, the extension being signed by cornerback Jair Alexander. And Ian Rappaport said the Packers and Jair Alexander have an agreement in principle on a four-year, $84 million extension, source said. He gets a whopping $31 million in year one. Okay, so now I want to kind of fall back here a second and go to Ken Ingles on uh on twitter who as you guys know he's a great follow i don't agree with all of his takes but man the guy does such a good job quickly getting numbers um out there on twitter as far as contracts go and and this is what he said in a tweet uh yesterday shortly after that was reported he said based on early reports jair alexander's cap hits for the first three years should be approximately in 2022 7.076 that's a $6.2 million in savings right now. Um, in 2023, it's going to be $19.9 million. In 2024, $22 million. So initially, I thought this was going to be a front-loaded contract. But like Ken says, let's see where things land once the dust settles and all incentives and quote up-tos have been sorted out. But early indications are this obviously frees up a ton of money, um, or a little bit of money, I should say, in 2022 this season. But then when you're talking about the next two years of cap hits, this is, like I said, there may be more up-tos, but at the moment, $19.9 million and $22 million for an all-pro corner. A, a, a Pro Bowl perennial, right? Um, year in and year out, the guy's making the Pro Bowl. Um, that's, uh, I feel like that's a fair deal for Jair Alexander. And I love the fact that they got it done quick. You don't have to have this being held over his head during the season. We all know how that kind of went sour there with Devontae Adams, which Ian Rappaport talked about yesterday as well on the uh, Pat McAfee show that the Packers actually offered Devontae well over what the Las Vegas Raiders offered him. So for all those negative Nancys out there saying they didn't want to pay Devontae, they didn't want to pay Devontae, uh, once again, more confirmation. Devontae went where he wanted to go. He took less money to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. But again, you've got to understand, and, and this is something that I've had to uh, kind of understand myself and, and deal with because I am a big front office guy. I love Brian Gutekunst. So I love how the Packers handle business. They did mishandle that Devontae deal. In hindsight, I'm kind of like, man, I'll tell you what, it's it, I think it's a better thing that it didn't work out because this extension may not happen. Obviously, you don't re-sign Russell Douglas if it happens. Uh, Devontae Campbell doesn't get re-signed if that happens. Jaron Reed probably doesn't get signed if that happens. Just a lot of dominoes that fell in a different uh, different area, um, you know, just because Devontae decided to move on. And I really think it was one of those things that it it worked out in the Packers' favor. Um, Only time will tell, you know. If we struggle on offense this year because we don't have a big target – then it's going to be easy to look back and go, you know what? Losing Devontae was a big deal. If Devontae goes to Vegas and he doesn't perform, you know, without Aaron Rodgers, and our offense, you know, doesn't sputter that much, and we we finish with a top 10 offense and an even more dominant defense, kind of looks like the Packers came out a little bit better. Well, you know, only time will tell. But when it comes to Jair Alexander, essentially what you've got now, guys, earlier in the season, the off-season, I should say, we talked about on this podcast that Nickel defense is what you're going to be in the majority of the time with just the 11 personnel that's used across the league. And even even when people go to base sometimes, um, at times, you know, nickel is even used. So you want all of your money tied up on both offense and defense in nickel and 11 personnel, right? Three wide receiver sets. So when you look at the defensive side of the ball now for the Packers, look at what they've done. They locked up Preston Smith at the edge. You still had Rashawn Gary right? They went out and got another defensive tackle in case the draft didn't work out. Lo and behold, they get a, a three-technique tackle, primary, primary, uh, primarily three-technique tackle there with Wyatt in the draft, but before that, they signed Jaron Reed, right? Um, so, you've got your two edge defenders, you've got your two interior uh, defensive linemen, and then in the middle, what did they do? They re-signed Devondre Campbell, and then they go out and use a first-round pick on Quay Walker, right? So your linebacking core is set, and now look at the cornerback position. You've got Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, and Eric Stokes. Jair now inking a four-year contract, guys. That means that those three corners are under contract for the next three years, e- even further. But you know, Rasul Douglas signed a three-year deal, so for the next three years, if indeed they decide they don't want to move on from them and and and, and you know, free up cap if they want to move on from uh, Rasul, if they don't you have your three corners that are starting in that nickel defense, whether it's a 2-4-5, a 3-3-5, three, three, whatever it is you're wanting to run, they're set there. And then at the safety position, what did they do? They pick up the fifth-year option of uh, Darnell Savage, and you've got Amos under contract for another year. So the defense is set. The nickel defense is completely set. It's bolstered with rookies who are going to kind of take on more of a role next year, the future looks bright for this defense in Green Bay, and I couldn't be more excited about it. You know, it you you it's it's funny, you know, you lose Devontae Adams and Goody immediately shifts his focus to, okay, let's let's make sure this defense stays intact. Let's bolster it up a bit. That way we don't have to put all this pressure on the offense. You know, if we come out and we're only giving up, you know, 13 points a game, 17 points a game, Guys, it's it's going to be a good year. Aaron Rodgers is going to know how to manage the game in a, in a in a sense where he can go out and score just enough points for this team to rack up some wins. I'm I'm absolutely fired up about this defense and I know I'm not the only one. It, it seems to be the big talking point this offseason. But once again, kudos to uh to Brian Gutekunst and, and getting that deal done. Now we're on to the next, right? Now what's on the horizon is Rashawn Gary and if they can lock him up, you know, with Preston Smith getting his five-year deal, um, the uh, the defense is in a great, great spot, guys. We got Kenny locked up. Was it last year or the year before? So uh, um, the the thing that stands out to me now is the big question: Is Darnell Savage gonna go back to playing at that extremely high level that he did two years ago, or does he play at the same level he did last year? And if he does, then the next hole we need to fill is safety. I'm hoping Darnell Savage returns. To that previous uh, form, where he was, uh, you know, graded out, you know, fairly high with PFF, and um, and just a, a solid player there at free safety because that free safety position is very, very important in my opinion. You want a guy who's rangy there in the middle playing center field, and uh, Amos has done an excellent job in and out of the box. Um, great, great player. But there's something about that free safety. You know, when you think of the great defenses, let me put it this way. When you think of the great defenses, you know, the Baltimore Ravens come to mind, right? Name a cornerback that played for the Baltimore Ravens. You're probably sitting there going, ah, what was it? Uh, Yeah, there was a guy, what was his name? Um, McAllister. I think his name was McAllister, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Who played free safety for the Baltimore Ravens? (laughs) You immediately think, Ed Reed. Ed Reed was a key cog for that defense. And that's the only thing that I think the Packers may be missing with this defense. Everything else looks, I mean, looks fantastic across the board. But it's okay. What is Darnell Savage going to do? Now the beautiful thing is, like we talked about before on this podcast, he's in a contract year, right? He's playing for a new contract. You pick up that option now. He's working for that next deal. He don't want to be a lame duck safety going into next year, like. Now he's got some extra motivation. I'm really excited to see what Darnell Savage does because we know he's got the physical tools. He's got the traits, right? He had them coming out of college. He showed them when he first came into the league. We just now, one year under his belt with the new defensive coordinator. Let's see what happens. Isn't it amazing that this time last year, people like Ross Tucker, who I have a a great deal of respect for. This is not the bash Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker is one of the few people in media that I really, really enjoy listening to. I think he gives honest takes. But he just, man, he didn't like the idea of them moving on from Petten. You know, the Packers moving on from Petten and bringing in Joe Barry. And and now he's man enough to admit, wow, I was wrong. Look at what this addition of Joe Barry has done. Well, you got to take into consideration, and I'm speaking to myself more than anybody. I'm real hard on Darnell Savage, but again, that was the first year with a new defensive coordinator. You know, there's there's going to be some tweaks. There's going to be some changes there, right? Maybe not a whole lot, but enough. Um, so when you're playing that deep safety position, where you like to play center field, whether you're in a cover one or you're you're playing that deep that deep middle zone in a cover three or or whatever, um, you know there's going to be some uh, some adjustments that need to be made for a new with a new defensive coordinator in the house. But the cool thing about Quay Walker being added as well is the fact that Devondre Campbell has all the responsibility of running that defense. Quay Walker can just go out there and be a playmaker and occasionally be able to blitz the quarterback. Use some stunts, some twists up the middle. You know, I liked what Carolina did early last year. A lot of people forget that the Carolina Panthers started the year off very strong on defense, and there was film being broke down that they were using stunts in the running game, in the defensive running game. They were using stunts up front to to really uh, to cut off running lanes and 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 attack that offensive line from a different angle that most uh, most defenses don't. You know, when it comes to playing the run, I'm just very excited. I could, I could go on and on and on about this, talking X's and O's and personnel and and uh, what adjustments Barry may make this year. I just know this. Um, I cannot wait to get the Lambo this year. I'm watching him play the Rams. I know Jacob's going with me. You guys probably heard. we have got a couple other surprises in the works. going to be a few other people joining us, but uh, we'll announce that at a later time. But it's going to be a great year, guys. I'm really, really excited. But again, Jair Alexander under contract. Bam, new extension. Got that out of the way. It's not going to be hanging over our head for the season. It's going to be a great training camp. So, uh, now let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our, our final segment here, and we're going to get you out of here a little bit early today, guys. All right, guys. We got a question in the DMs on Twitter from O Ben three uh, a bunch of numbers. O Ben, we're gonna call him Benny. All right, Ben hits us up in a DM on Twitter. He says, "Sup, man. J- I, don't, I don't. Yeah, sorry. I, we say hello where I'm from, but it's all good. I, I think I know what that means. <laughs> Sup, man. Just getting caught up on your pods and had a question. What is a realistic expectation for a quote good rookie season?" P.S. I have no idea what the roadhouse reference means. Thanks. Well, well <laughs> first of all, let's attack the roadhouse reference. I'm not going to damage your brain any by trying to explain what it even means. It's not even important, okay? It's, <laughs> trust me, you're going to save some brain cells with me not explaining it to you. Now, back to your question. Um, you know, just getting caught up on your pods. All right. So, what what is a realistic expectation for a good rookie season? That's the question, and it's a great question because I think fans have uh, such a different view on this, and and it's a good thing, right? You know, everybody doesn't have to think the same way. That's that's what we kind of pride ourselves on with this show here. Is I don't ever want to come across, like I cannot stand it when I listen to podcasts and people, they have their opinion. Podcast hosts have their opinions. Well, this is how it is, and if you don't agree, then you're just wrong. I think that's silly. I think the second that you stop trying to learn from other people, you're going backwards. It's just that simple. Um, Now, in my opinion, let me give my opinion of what I think constitutes a good rookie season. I want uh, availability. I want playing time. And, uh, and I want a good uh, a good set of consistency, I guess is the best way of putting it. All right, what do I mean by um, availability? It means staying healthy. You know, Bill Belichick has preached from day one. You guys know I'm a big Bill Belichick fan. He's preached from day one that avail- the top ability, the, the most important ability a player can have is availability, okay? Availability and accountability is what he says. But let's talk about availability. It doesn't matter how talented you are. If you cannot stay on the field right if you cannot stay on the field your talent means nothing to the football team absolutely nothing you know if you're in and out of the lineup constantly you know how much stress that puts on a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator like you cannot build continuity in a unit if you can't stay on the field and some of you are rolling your eyes right now going i know clayton i know you you know like i'm speaking to you like you're in third grade i'm just he asked my opinion this is, this is me. Availability number one. You got to stay healthy. You know the old saying, you can't make the club in the tub. If you're always in, in, in the trainer's room and, and always banged up and can't go, and it's always a game time decision, you can't build game plans around that. That's the top ability, in my opinion. The next thing is, um, you know, you talk about availability, right? And then we're going to talk about consistency. What does consistency mean? To me, consistency is, as a rookie player, is not making the big mistakes. And this is not a sexy way of looking uh, at you know at the game of football. You know, Ryan did a great job breaking down with SIS talking about big plays and, and and bus plays and things like that. And I think that stuff is important, but it's not what's most important to me. Right? You know, we talked about in the live stream the other night. The reason I'm not as big on Darnell Savage is because he's inconsistent. I want someone who's consistent. It's kind of like that superstar um how do you say it the whole superstar effect you know people love superstars on their team right you love the the tj Watts you love the aaron rodgers you love you know the devonte adams you love all these players that are quote unquote superstars i do too i think it's crucial to have those at the crucial positions what are my crucial positions that we talked about quarterback left tackle an edge defender. I feel like if you have superstars at those places, at those spots, absolutely they are worth the money. Spend it every chance you get. Make sure that the roster is full of people, you know, players. Uh, and it's okay to pay a high salary cap hit to those positions. But every other position, I would much rather have a team full of good players rather than a team with three superstars. And the rest being bad players because it creates inconsistency so when it comes to a good rookie player again a good rookie season i want consistency and i want availability and when you look at um you know past rookies let's kind of go back through the packers draft history here real quick and let's let's look at the the rookies that we felt like they were solid and you don't have to go very far last year you had cornerback eric stokes right you heard everybody talk about how he had a great year um you know and then then again you look at the interceptions and it's like wow you know he, he only had one interception how's that a great year well it's because he was consistent when you look at his pff grade it was a 66.3 and when people see that, they're probably thinking that seems kind of low, not for a rookie, um, not for a rookie. We're going to get to Jair Alexander's rookie grade here in just a second, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But when you talk about the total snaps, the guy had 645 coverage snaps and 289 run defense snaps, okay? This guy was healthy for the most part. I don't know his entire injury history, but I do know this. He was available all year long. Availability and consistency. That's what's most important. His coverage grade was actually a 67.6. Okay. So I think that, well, here again, and, and you're probably saying, okay, well, um, you know, how much was he targeted? He was targeted 96 times last year, and he was, he tied fifth in the entire NFL in targets. That's, that's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. Okay, so obviously we're going to skip over Jordan Love with him kind of having that red shirt year last year. Didn't play. Hey, let's let's pray to sweet baby Jesus. He doesn't play much this year too, because if he plays, that means Aaron's hurt, and we do not want no part of that. We know what that's like. So let's go over to our next uh, first round pick. And that was Rashawn Gary, okay? So in 2019, he did not play a lot. It's shown his PFF grade is a 54.1. You know how many people were, were talking like, well, Rashawn Gary, that pick doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why they wasted a first-round pick on him, blah, blah, blah. The You know, a, at the time, they had Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, right? And everybody said, why are, you, why are you drafting an edge rusher with your first-round pick when you spend all this money in free agency? I'll tell you Why? just like at the quarterback position because edge is another crucial position. It's one of those three what I call elite positions, right? Quarterback, left tackle and edge. Okay, when you look at the edge position just like the quarterback, the best time, this is this is Bill Walsh one-on-one, this is Bill Belichick 101, this is any the the who anybody who's anyone in the history of football will tell you the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need a quarterback ted thompson said it all the time and he got laughed at the best time to draft a quarterback is when you when you already have a quarterback, okay? The best time to draft a left tackle is when you already have a left tackle. The best time to draft an edge rusher is when you already have edge rushers there because they'll have they, they've got this model to go after. They, they to go by, they, you know, a rookie can step in, see how the position's played. Zadarius Smith has turned into an absolute turd, okay? I think we all agree on that. But when he signed with Green Bay, that dude was a stud on the edge. Preston Smith A stud on the edge coming in, you know out of free agency. So that first year with Rashawn Gary, his PFF grade was a 54.1, right? But he had minimal snaps, he hardly even cracked the lineup. So let's look at his first year that he actually played, right? The first year that he got meaningful snaps, they started to up his snap total a little bit, okay? That year was 2020, 67.1. That sound familiar? Remember the Eric Stokes grade? I think his coverage grade was right there at 67, a little over, I think it was 67.9 maybe. There you go. Rashawn Gary, 67.1. 2021, again, at this time, we didn't need an edge defender. Last year, what happens? Zadarius Smith gets hurt. Rashawn Gary, 89.3 elite grade on PFF. Again, you draft players at positions when you don't need players at that position. It's just, it's the way Green Bay has all, always operated. It goes back all the way back to Jack Vinici and what he used to say. And we talked about earlier in this episode. You know, they drafted Herb Adderley, um, you know, as a running back, knowing that they already had two stud running backs because he was a good football player. And the best time to draft someone at a position is when you don't need them. Well, lo and behold, what does Herb Adderley do? He's going to have a Hall of Fame career as a cornerback. I, I think it's so cool. You, you know, here with Rashawn Gary, if he'd been thrust into a starting role. Who knows what would have happened to his confidence? Who knows what would have happened to his technique? He couldn't have sat back and watched Z and Preston Smith do it the right way and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you step into a row and off to the races. But I think it's important to, to mention that the first year that he's seen meaningful snaps, he graded out as a 67. I'm going to tie all this together because we're going to go back to the question. Remember, was what What is a realistic expectation for a good rookie season? 2020 was basically acted as Rashawn Gary's rookie season, if you will. He finished with a 67 PFF grade, just like Eric Stokes did. Now let's go back to our next first round draft pick and how they performed their rookie year. You'd have to go back to 2016, and it was Kenny Clark. Guess what Kenny Clark's PFF grade was? A 67.3. The following year, 2017, Kenny makes a huge jump to 87.3 in elite grade. So again, just like Rashawn Gary, um, to you know, finish that that first year where he's seen uh, considerable playing time, finished in the 60s, the upper 60s PFF grade. The very next year, stepped into a starter row boom blew up 87.3 happened we were Sean Gary now we're going into year two with Stokes so I don't know about you guys but I'm getting really really excited the fact that he finished in the 60s and some people would look at that grade and go wow he he underperformed no he didn't rookies uh, perform at a different level there you know when they step into that starting role and they see that significant play time increase um, it takes a little bit of getting used to the to the speed of the NFL if you will Okay, we accidentally skipped over one. That was Darnell Savage. He was drafted in 2019. And his rookie season, he finished at, you heard it right, a 67.1. In 2020, he jumped to a 75.3. And then, of course, last year, he had a setback. So um, to answer your question, Ben, um, to me, the way that we're going to be able to gauge this rookie class, now I will say, first of all, Uh, You know, Devontae Wyatt is the first defensive lineman that we've drafted in the first round, obviously, since Kenny Clark. It kind of shows, you know, they don't do that often. However, when they have, Kenny was a home run, in my opinion, right? So, I'm looking for Devontae Wyatt to finish there in the 60s. If he finishes in the 60s, PFF grade, he sees significant playing time, and he stays healthy. That, to me, is a successful rookie campaign. Okay, that is, you know, and, and just how you ask the question, right, what is a realistic expectation for a rookie, um, that's exactly what it is to me, okay? Um, again, that's that's been tried time and time again when looking at the PFF grades and kind of what to expect from a rookie. Um, I think that's a very, very reasonable approach. Now, with Quay Walker, obviously, we haven't drafted an inside linebacker uh, in the first round since A.J. Hawk. So, again, that's what I look at when when looking at a rookie campaign. You know, what justifies a good rookie season? Um, I'm looking for availability. I'm looking for uh, consistency. And uh, I think that's laying a foundation, a base. To me, what it says about that rookie if they're, if they're finishing there in the 60s of PFF and they're available, it's telling me that they're playing somewhat consistent, okay? They're not finishing with a 40-something, you know, PFF grade. They're not making those huge mistakes because, you know, as Ryan pointed out the other night on the live stream and a couple other people as well as on his podcast, um, PFF really, really caters to consistency. Uh, you you know you make one or one or two boneheaded plays and it really screws up the PFF grade. I personally appreciate that. I like that aspect and, and I'm all about consistency. You know you guys know I'm, I'm a traditional business owner. We actually launched two new businesses this this last year. Well, technically 2020. And you know one of the things that we focus on when we launch a business is, all right, what's the niche going to be. You know, it may be this broad, this huge, broad idea. Like To give you an example, we, we launched a, a charcuterie business. And I don't want to bore you guys with too much details, but long story short, we, we launched a charcuterie business. And the goal initially was, okay, um, we want to be a catering service, okay? We want, we want to provide a catering service because charcuterie, if you guys don't know, we down here in the South, I call them fancy lunchables. That's basically what they are. People will pay top dollar for this beautiful wooden board with a bunch of meat and cheese and, and and you know little treats on it things like that it just absolutely blew up but at the same time in that process we stayed consistent with that but we didn't take our eye off of okay what's the long game well the long game ended up okay we we found ourselves catering weddings more than anything when well, that process we found out that there's a real big shortage for wedding planners so we launched that into a wedding planning business along with that charcuterie business so um, again that would have never happened if we didn't stay consistent with that charcuterie business right off the bat and I, I draw that parallel with football and it's anything in life anything you're going to be successful at you've got to get the basics down you've got to get a foundation in place you've got to put yourself in a position where you're consistently making good decisions you're consistently in football making plays and and the big plays will come in time you know, you got these these players like you know Ryan talked on the podcast about Tyrone Matthew, right? The the honey badger. He had one good year, and everybody they think of that one good year and they think of this guy is just an excellent safety. He's he's an all world safety. No, he's not. He had one good year, and he's been extremely inconsistent, right? Um, you give me the consistent football players. You you give me eleven players on the field. That are going to consistently do what it is they need to do to keep the other team out of the end zone, hold them to field goals, play the long game. You can have those pick sixes all day long. Because one pick six in a season doesn't justify a great year. But someone who plays solid and consistent, you you get a team full of those kind of guys, and that's what's going to win you championships. Devontae Adams is another parallel with that, guys. Devontae Adams was an absolute superstar. He made play after play after play. Lo and behold, we get in the playoffs, right? They decide they're going to double him up, and he's taken completely out of the game. And Aaron chose not to throw to underneath receivers that were open, right? And I think it is somewhat blown out of proportion. I don't think it's just that easy. But it's just an example of if you've got a team full of good players You can win football games without the superstars. I mean, they literally took two players on the field and took Devontae Adams out of the game plan in that 49ers game. And you've seen what happened to the offense. Because the offense all year long in Aaron was geared around, they were built around that connection between Aaron and Devontae. It just took one time them saying, I don't care what we got to do. We're taking him out of the game plan. He's going to have to beat us with somebody else. And lo and behold, you know, it's it's easy to look at the special teams. I, I harped on it more than anyone. The special teams lost us that game. I don't think anybody's denying that. But the fact that we didn't score more points in that playoff game, kind of ridiculous, especially at home. Um so not to not to end, end the show on a negative note, I'm super excited about this season. It's just when he asked that question, I was going through the DMs and looking at the different questions. I'm like, this right here is worth hitting on because that's what I feel like that's what Goody is really focused on. You know, Rasul Douglas. I'm super excited about the huge plays that Rasul Douglas made, but I want to see Rasul Douglas take that next step in consistent play. Right. Um, the fact that Jair. The, the big thing with Jair's contract extension, guys, that, that excites me more than anything, is it tells me that shoulder's healthy. There's no way that the Green Bay Packers are going to sign him to that contract if there's any worry whatsoever that that shoulder, sir, that shoulder injury that he sustained last year might be long-term. Not that it is long-term, even might be long-term. They're not signing him to that contract. So that tells me is healthy, and that absolutely fires me up. So I'm excited for this season. I think it's going to be a great year. Um, I'm really, really eager to see what happens with Alan Lazard. I do want to mention this because it's kind of in the news as well. Um, it, you know, it was mentioned that that Alan Lazard has not signed his, you know, his RFA tender yet, right? That's the three – I think it's worth $3.9 million, I believe it is, his restricted free agency tender. Okay, well, the Packers – now that you're, you're beyond a certain point and he still hasn't signed that, the Packers are the only people that can negotiate rights for Alan Lazard. So he's kind of locked in. He's got one option. Sign that restricted free agency tender. That's it, right? Um, you know, the, It says that the Packers have the right to reduce that tender to 935000 on June 15 if he's still unsigned. So I want you to think about this. No one else can negotiate with him because he has not signed the tender. Well, the rules state, the CBA states, that if for some reason they wait until June 15th, the said player, in this case Alan Lazard, decides or decides to wait until June 15th, and he still hasn't signed that tender, now the tender immediately decreases to only $935,000. So the CBA, the owners worked into the CBA and these bylaws, um, this rule that's going to penalize the player for not signing that RFA in which the CBA was negotiated by the players union. And they agreed, yes, a team has the right to stamp someone as a restricted free agent at that tender. So um, what what's that mean? It means Lazard is, is likely looking for a bigger deal, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, the rules are the rules and the Packers know exactly how to play them. Um, and uh, the, you know, the CBA is, is definitely stacked against them. That's what it comes down to. So, uh, I think, you know, I've said from the beginning, I think Lazard is trying to push back a little bit so he can get a a bigger contract, and I kind of hope that happens. You know, I'm willing to give Lazard a little bit of money. I think Lazard is a solid wide receiver. He falls into that category, in my opinion. He's nowhere near a superstar, right? But he's a good football player. I want more good football players on the team. Good football players are cheaper than superstar players and wide receiver is not an elite position in my opinion. Now you're probably saying, "Well, we just paid a cornerback, you know, huge money." That cornerback is a very 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 special player. He is. And the difference between Jair Alexander and DeVonte Adams situation is DeVonte Adams was quite a bit older than Jair. This is exactly what we talked about in an earlier podcast. And you guys know it. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know how intelligent you guys are as Packer fans and football fans. But we know how the Green Bay organization works. They love giving that second contract to players that they draft. They absolutely love it. They did it for Devontae. It's just when they get to that third contract is where they really become hesitant unless it's someone who's an absolute superstar. And in that case... Devontae fell into that category, but again, I think it was one of those situations where Aaron still wasn't under contract, they were trying to hammer that out first, they prior, they, they made a list of priorities, and Aaron Rodgers was at the very top, we got to get that guy done, then we'll move on to Devontae, and I think in, in the process, Devontae um, just decided, hey, look, I'm done with this. Um, I don't want to deal with it anymore and I want to go to Vegas. So it's really cool to see how all of these different contract negotiations kind of draw or not draw a parallel, but they, they, they compare very well with each other. You can kind of see the contrast between the two. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Now what we got to think in the future here, and you know, in the very, very uh, near future, Rashawn Gary and Elton Jenkins. We just got to make sure Elton Jenkins is healthy and that knee isn't going to be something that's long-term. And I, I'm hoping it is because I really like Elton Jenkins. I'm a big fan. And Rashawn Gary, you know, I thought I was big on Rashawn Gary. I really did. I think he's an excellent player. I bought into the hype last year. I've seen it firsthand. I'm like, this guy's going to be a superstar. But after hearing other Packer fans this year, and and the guys on the stream, right, and other fans just chatting on Twitter, you guys have me over the moon hyped about Rashawn gary because i i i kind of looked at him like okay yes he's a great football player he's going to be a superstar in this league but you guys have just taken it to a whole other level and i'm right on board with you man you sign me up you guys have convinced me so um that's that's definitely a cornerstone that we want in place because again that edge defender is is an elite position and i think we all agree that elton jenkins is probably the left tackle of the future. Um, i don't think unless baktiari is willing to take a pay cut um, next year or the year after his cap hit number is going to get so inflated and with him already having knee issues uh, you know the acl and the water on the knee and all that um, i you know i hope i'm wrong but i just don't see Bakhtiari being on this team in three years so that's why you want to lock elton jenkins into a new contract getting him locked down, that's your left tackle of the future. And while is hanging on, and if he is willing to negotiate, then that's great. You've got Elton, you can play at left guard, right tackle, wherever you need to put him. He's just one of those players that's invaluable, in my opinion. but he can be the left tackle of the future because we've seen him play at an elite level um, last year, filling in for Bach uh, before, of course, he uh, he hurt his knee. So I think we're in great position, in in great shape. We're in a great position moving forward. I think there's a good mix of different contracts that are taking place right now. And the big thing was, you know, we had 11 draft picks this year. And everybody, not everybody, a lot of people talked about, um, you know, there's no way they're drafting 11 people. They They'll probably end up drafting six or seven. That's you know, they're gonna move up in the draft and take one of those top six wide receivers. We heard that over and over and over. What did Goody do? Goody did totally the opposite. He traded out one time, came away with 10 picks, and now you have 10 players that are more than likely going to make this roster, and those are 10 players that for four years are on very low contracts outside of that first round. And of course, you know, Christian Watson there being on the on the brink of creeping into the first round. So um, we're in great shape. That's what you do with draft capital. That's what you do with draft picks. These are the things that are going to hurt the LA Rams in the next several years. Because they got all these players on these inflated contracts, and here the Packers have a ton of rookie contracts. You know, you look up at Josh Myers. You know, uh, he he didn't play great last year. I think we all would agree with that, right? But the fact that he's on that rookie contract, you've got him locked in. You don't have to. You don't. You're not overpaying there. And what's going to happen is, I think, in the next few years, you're going to get in a position where they might make another free agency run when all this money hits and the cap does increase. The Packers are playing the long game. And and, and it's it's funny because they did go all-in last year. And, and everybody was worried coming into this year that if we don't win now, oh, we're screwed, we're going to have to rebuild. That's not the case. Goody, I'm telling you, he is right on track with how he's building this team. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. Really appreciate, appreciate your time uh, uh, tuning in. And hope you enjoyed the history segment. I'll tell you that Herb Adderley story, that's, uh, man, what a superstar. Um, It's always a blast, uh, you know, digging into that stuff. Again, thanks to Ben on Twitter. I hope I get that name right. Yes, Ben. Thanks again, man, for the feedback. Always appreciate that. And it's funny, man, when you guys bring up topics like this, they tend to be some of my favorite segments because even just digging into those PFF grades, I went in not knowing how everything was going to lay out. I, I may have gotten in there and be like, oh crap, yeah, this, this, this doesn't look good. But everything kind of laid out into place that, okay, that's the expectation. So, Ben, because you asked that question and uh, and put me in a position to kind of do the legwork to look into that, I'm feeling a lot better and, and knowing now going into the season, all right, these two rookies, these first-round picks, Wyatt and Walker, let's see if they can finish in the 67s. And who knows, you might hit a home run like a Micah Parsons and they just go absolutely ballistic. I'm not expecting that, Right. I'm curbing the enthusiasm there and the expectation. But again, if he finishes in the 60s and the 70s, then they're looking like good solid draft picks. Look for Stokes to make that next step into the 70s this year. That would be awesome. Again, this was something that was triggered by a podcast that Ryan did um, you know, probably about a month ago now, where he really broke down the PFF grades and and how uh, Eric Stokes and uh, was right on par with kind of with Jair. That was another one I wanted to check out. And as a matter of fact, I'll do that right now. Um, as we end this show. Jair Alexander's rookie season was a 72.4. His sophomore season in 2019, 73. And then, of course, in 2020, he jumped to a 90.5. So again, you know, upper 60s, lower 70s looking like an absolute stub moving forward. Let's hope that those two rookie first-round picks uh, perform somewhere in that ballpark. So, again, guys, thanks for listening to the show. Um, Make sure you hit us up on Twitter. Um, Again, that handle is at Packers underscore access. we got some cool stuff coming up here real soon. I don't want to ruin it. I'm still ironing out some details, but I'm really, really excited to bring you guys an announcement soon. So uh, keep your ear to Twitter for that. But, as always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. Thanks for listening and go pack go. Third down, to go. The change, Seventeen to fourteen. Cowboys out in front.
0: Star begins the count. Take the snap. He's in the